0: Welcome to the master's in psychology podcast where psychology students can learn from psychologists, educators, and practitioners to better understand what they do, how they got there, and hear the advice they have for those interested in getting a graduate degree in psychology. I'm your host, Brad Schumacher, and today we welcome Dr. Donna Marks to the show. Dr. Marks has been a licensed psychotherapist and addictions counselor for over 30 years. She is certified in addiction Gestalt therapy, hypnosis, sex therapy, and psychoanalysis. And she currently has a concierge psychotherapy practice in Palm Beach, Florida. Today, we will learn more about her academic and professional journey, learn more about her career, and her forthcoming book, The Healing Moment, Seven Paths to Turn Messes into Miracles of Love, and hear her advice for those interested in the field of psychology. Dr. Marks, welcome to our podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a delight.
0: Well, I appreciate you taking the time Mm -hmm. out of your busy schedule to talk with us. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about your journey. To start off, tell me a little bit more about your undergraduate studies and what really made you gravitate towards psychology?
1: Well, that's a a big question. (laughs) I think I was (laughs) always gravitating towards psychology. I was in a very um, painful environment growing up. But it did give me a sensitivity to other people's pain and feelings so by the time i was in junior high i was like the resident therapist for my um, family uh, even though i was an only child so that leaves my parents (laughs) and for my friends uh, i got married when i was 16 and uh, dropped out of school wound up going to night school to get my high school diploma Uh, had a baby and I was divorced by the time I was 18. And as I was waiting on tables at six o'clock in the morning, I'm not a morning person and having, you know, a baby uh, to take care of uh, without much support. There was some, um, I said, you know, I really got to get my act together. I slept through high school. I was depressed. And so I was afraid I wouldn't be able to go to college but um, I did finish my high school uh, diploma by, by going to school at night at the time. You were, now they just have the GED, but the time you could take the classes. <clears throat> and so I, I got my high school diploma and um, took some typing and business courses so that I could move into a, an easier line of work, not a more lucrative time, line of work, but an easier line of work. And then I uh, took the big risk and went and talked to a counselor at the local community college It was always my dream to go to college, not necessarily a local community college. I had bigger dreams than that, but I had ruined those with my decisions, um, which, you know, I don't regret now, but uh, at the time I did not have someone to really guide me along. That's why I'm really honored to be on your show, because I know there's going to be people listening that can relate to some of this. Uh, There was a part of me that said, you know, you can do better. There was always a part of me and my spiritual part that said, "You you can do what you want. So I um I, I remember going into the advisor's office after taking the SATs and being told, you know, your grade point average was just average in school and uh your scores are so low, you you really should just take like a you know education degree, something really simple. And I'm like, Well, no, I, I I really want to study psychology. And he said, Well, I, you know, you might do okay here. But when you go on to the four year degree, it's going to be a lot harder. And I said, Well, I'll figure out how to do it. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, No, I really think that you should, you know, you should just stay with something easier. And I'm like, kind of thinking and there was something inside of me said, don't pay any attention to him. Mm-hmm. So I graduated the two year program and about 14 months with honors and then went on to the Florida Atlantic University here in Boca Raton. And um, it was a tough it was a tough program, but I graduated that program with honors. Also, not as it wasn't as easy as the community college, but I I did finish and um, was very happy that I did. And it boosted my confidence. You know, if you study for something, it's not so hard. And so I then got my master's uh, at, at a graduate school. And um, while well, I had started a private practice, because I actually went and looked for jobs with a master's degree, and I would have been making less money than I was a waitress. So I wasn't really keen on doing that. And I started uh, uh, doing groups with uh, a colleague. We just did like support groups for people that were going through widowed or divorced, uh, we did bereavement groups. And then we had people in those groups that wanted individual counseling, and uh, we had to be supervised. It's, we weren't even licensed yet. We were interns. We had to be supervised. We would met all the requirements except the supervision. At the time, it was two years of supervision after all your graduate studies, and then you had to pass the state exam. So while I was doing that, the um, my my supervisor said you really need to get your doctorate degree, and I'm like I, I've already investigated that it's impossible. I can't get a doctorate in psychology. <clears throat> they want you to work in the clinic for 30 hours a week. I, I now have I'm now divorced twice and have two children, and um, and I have a full time practice and I, I just can't do it. And he said, well, you don't need to do psychology. You can get your doctorate in adult education. So um, the next thing I knew, you know, after several conversations, he's on the phone with the dean of that department, (laughs) and I did get my doctorate. So I was a graduate uh, of high school with an adult education, and then I wound up getting a doctorate in adult education. And that's been the educational component of, of my journey.
0: Well, you said quite a lot there. Uh, You actually gave me a nice quick overview from high school to your uh, going, leading up to your bachelor's as well at Florida Atlantic University. And then you eventually ended up going to Nova Southeastern University for your master's and your EDD. So um, nice summary. I want to share my screen here for a second. And I want to highlight a couple things for our viewers and listeners. Uh, number one is once it pops up here, it's going to show the Florida Atlantic University uh, where you attended and you received your BA in psychology. Uh, so we'll share these uh, websites and these links uh, when we go live as well. And so you don't need to uh, necessarily uh, uh, keep, keep uh, uh, track of these. And then I'll move over to NSU Florida. And this is where you received your EDD in adult education. But you applied that in such a way that you even mentioned you were already practicing uh, under, you know, under supervision uh, to actually start your career. And that's why you, you actually have more than 30, almost 35 years under your belt of, of helping and counseling. And so I'm going to go back for a second. So while you were uh, working on your bachelor's at the Florida Atlantic University, at what point did you know that you wanted to get your graduate degree? Uh, and, and back then it was probably counseling psychology you were thinking, but then they were saying, no, you can go and get it for adult education. So tell me a little bit more about when did it click in your mind that, Hey, I could actually do this. I could go on and get my graduate degree.
1: Well, I knew that the money was not going to be very good with a bachelor degree and there weren't many jobs available either. Um, that would be very basic state or, or county types of positions, which I didn't mind doing, but um I knew I would have to get my master's degree to be in private practice and to to advance myself into the I wanted to be remunerated for the amount of effort that was putting in. So a master's degree was going to be essential. So I did get my master's in counseling psychology okay. from Nova University.
0: Okay. All right. Well, that helps a little bit. Now, the follow-up question that I have is, you know, there are tons and tons of graduate schools and programs in Florida. And so I'm sharing a screen right now. It'll pop up here, all the Florida master's in psychology degrees and programs, uh, looking at the master's level. And then some of those are terminal. And then you go into the doctorate uh, degrees as well. So how did you decide on going to um, Nova Southeastern University for your master's in your EDD then?
1: Well, uh, at the time we didn't have computers and there weren't so many schools available that there are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it met the requirements to get licensed and uh, it was suggested to me that it would be a good school. If I had it to do over, I would have gotten my MSW in clinical um, social work because uh, it you know, it, I think it's still the same way that uh, a lot of the uh, Medicare and Medicaid insurance policies will pay clinical social workers. and at the time they would they would not pay licensed mental health counselors. I know there's been all kind of lobbying and stuff going on for years. I haven't really done insurance or accepted insurance for quite a while, so I really don't know uh, what's happening with that reimbursement right now in those insurance companies. But the the license that I got, which is a licensed mental health counselor, after I met all the requirements to be licensed in Florida, did um, qualify me to be uh, reimbursed or for my patients to be reimbursed through almost all other insurance companies. It's just the Medicare, Medicaid, the government policies. Mm-hmm. But if someone were going to start now, I would encourage them to get that MSW licensure. Mm -hmm. licensed clinical social worker for that because when you're first starting you want to be able to serve as many people as you can and for you to get reimbursed and for or for your patients to get reimbursed.
0: Sure, sure and I should mention you already said that you uh, received that license as a mental health counselor and that was back in uh, 1987 and then after that you became certified as I mentioned in my introduction in addiction, gestalt therapy, hypnosis, sex therapy and then psychoanalysis and so Uh, I would imagine that you did that to just to your point, be able to serve more and more of your patients needs. Um, What kind of drove you to get more certification in those different areas?
1: Well, um, a lot of things, mainly that I felt very inadequate with the training that I had, which was basically cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think it has its place. But with people who um, have had a lot of trauma, it certainly doesn't have a place there in terms of total healing. So uh, I felt inadequate. And I also felt uh, that I needed to do work on myself. So in the Gestalt training, we did participate and we did have a lot of therapy ourselves. And certainly with psychoanalysis to be certified psychoanalysis, it's very rigorous. It's, It's like getting another doctorate degree. You have to write papers. You have to have two, uh, four years of personal psychoanalysis. I wound up having thirteen years. Um, you have to be supervised for four years, and so, um, and then you have to go before a committee. So it's very rigorous and um, requires a lot of a lot of commitment. And uh, so that's why I did the psychoanalysis. I got certified in addiction because almost everybody that was coming in either had an addiction or knew someone that had an addiction. And um, I found out through my own um, process of counseling people with addictions that I had to face my own addiction. So that was another whole component of my my growth and my process. And then hypnosis was very helpful and just learned teaching people how to deescalate, how to relax. And I combined that with meditation and creative visualization or going back uh, into the childhood or into different periods in time and accessing unhealed wounds, so all of these things were just components by choice uh, that I that I really have enjoyed. Um, I also became certified as a sex therapist because the during my career the uh, state of Florida passed a law that you couldn't discuss sex without being certified in sex therapy. And we all know that, you know, if you're going to be counseling people with addictions, there's a lot of sex addiction. And I had to be able to discuss that. So I went ahead and got that certification also.
0: Well, thank you for telling me a little bit about that. I realized just now that before when I was sharing the screen, I actually was sharing our screen. So people were seeing us again. So let me correct that now. And here is the correct screen that I wanted to share earlier. And this is the screen that shows where you finished your undergrad uh, at uh, Florida Atlantic University, and then NOVA, NSU, uh, Florida. And so I wanted to share that because a lot of visual people are out there. But then I also mentioned that there were a lot of different programs out in Florida. So I'll share this. And of course, we'll, we'll include the uh, websites and the links. And then the follow-up question that I had, you know, you did receive your master's degree in counseling psychology, and so a lot of people, when they're going to grad school, uh, they start looking at the types of uh, degrees and and branches of psychology, but not only that, we talked about many different types of therapy as well, and so a lot of people get overwhelmed with. Oh my gosh, if I have to be a counselor or a psychologist or a psychotherapist, do I need to learn all of these? Well, the answer is no, but you will find ones that are more uh, applicable to your counsel, you know, your, your clients and your client base. So talk to me for a moment about how did you decide on which types of therapy you wanted to get certified in?
1: Well, uh, I explained about the addictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were coming in with addictions <clears throat> or family members or significant others uh, with addictions. So that I just felt like I really needed to learn about, by the way, I never was. I, that's the one thing I didn't want to do is deal with addiction <laughs> But <laughs> here in South Florida. <laughs> need I say more? Um <clears throat> And it was good, you know, because it did help me to face my own and to get into my own recovery process. But in terms of, and I explained the, the sex therapy, mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of the gestalt uh, therapy and psychoanalysis, I felt that I did not have the tools to help people to really have the experiential part of therapy that I think is really important for people who have had a lot of trauma, either mm-hmm. currently or in the past and to also understand some of the very important components of the psychotherapy process and that's where psychoanalysis comes in mm-hmm. uh, i really had no regard for freud or anything about it and, but the deeper i got into um working with people the more i realized i would hit these walls or these situations and i didn't really understand them or how to deal with them and uh I started exploring. Actually, I got a I got an um, invitation in the mail, you know, come to our presentation on psychoanalysis at the Southeast Florida Institute for Psychoanalysis and Psychotherapy. And I went and once I met the people and heard about it and I was very intrigued. <clears throat> that was really difficult for me to be in that program because most of the people in the program were from uh, New York or Columbia University, and they'd already had like a ton of uh, training and, and coursework. And I was like, I had no idea. I, you know, It was very uncomfortable, but I'm so glad that I did it. And uh, I received two certifications, one in psychoanalytic psychotherapy and one in psychoanalysis. Um, one was a two-year program, one was a four-year program. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm so grateful for what I learned from my personal analyst who unfortunately passed away at a very young age of uh, 66, I think, Uh, and suddenly, um, but she'll always be in my heart. I'm so grateful to her. She was a very skilled analyst, and I think that every therapist should have a lot of therapy and also have some psychoanalysis so you understand those difficult um, parts of working with someone and how to work through them and how to help. Uh, your patients get beyond their barriers because whatever is going on out there is going to happen in the mm-hmm. in the therapy. And if they're I, willing, you know, not if not, you know, not everybody's willing. It's it's tough to grow, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times people come and fix me. Well, here's here's what that involves. Well, I don't, you know, when it gets when it gets tough, you know, people want to run or they want to stop or they want to quit, and. uh when you've had psychoanalysis, you understand that feeling very well, but you also know how to get beyond it personally. And then you can help someone else do that as well.
0: Well, that's a good summary, because later on, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, uh, your your updated and new edition book, as well as your forthcoming book. And and uh the challenge is with having to face the reality and moving forward so i'd almost say not only is it tough for clients to come face to face with the reality of this is what it's going to take it's almost self uh you know you have to look at yourself in terms of am i willing to go to that masters program am i willing to go through that doctor program am i willing to do all these hours Of supervision, and then go on and and do that. So along those same lines, you had already mentioned a couple of uh, pieces of advice for uh, students, if you had to do it all over again, MSW degree, you mentioned any other pieces of advice in terms of those for uh, who are interested in counseling psychology or going a different route as well. Anything else that comes to mind for you right now?
1: Well, there's, uh, Florida Atlantic University has a master's in education program, which does meet the requirements for state licensure of mental health counselors. There's marriage and family therapists. There's pastoral counseling. And now there are so many certifications available for coaching. A lot of people are choosing to be coaches uh, while they're training to be therapists. So I'm not opposed to that at all. I just would really encourage anybody that's going to do that to get supervision from a seasoned therapist if it said so that they really have that um, guidance to help them through uh, situations with people that they work with. So there's, uh, there's Berry University, there's Florida, um, uh, South Florida, uh, there's so many and you already have them listed. I don't need to recall all of them, but they're all very good programs. Florida has really good graduate programs in psychology.
0: Yeah. They have a lot of different, uh, graduate programs, uh, whether or not you want to do a terminal master's degree, or if you want to continue on with your, uh, PhD or EDD as well. And so that kind of leads me to another question that I ask is uh, many, uh, of our guests either get a PhD, a PsyD or an EDD. And so, um, Back when you were going through school and considering that, I know you already gave us a little bit of background on why you chose the the schools that you did and why you went the adult education route for your EDD and your counseling psychology for your master's as well. Back then, was it really a question whether or not you should go the PhD route versus the EDD route? Or was it just because that, that school at that time had that EDD in adult education, is that why?
1: Well, at the time the PhD in psychology was very clinical and research orientated. I wanted to be a therapist. So Mm -hmm. I would have gone the PsyD program and uh, never had a PsyD program that was fairly new. uh, And I probably would have preferred to do that, but it was not a realistic, uh, it just wasn't realistic
0: Mm -hmm. because of my
1: my time availability and, and being a single mom.
0: Sure, sure. In terms of funding, a lot of uh, undergrads and even graduate students are concerned about funding, and I've spoken to this uh, multiple times in the past, and high-level summary is if you know you want to receive your graduate degree and get a PhD, PsyD, EDD, uh, your doctorate, basically, go ahead and apply directly to the doctorate program because you re- the chances of you receiving scholarships grants are much higher than if you only apply to a master's terminal program. And so did you uh, get any offers from uh, NSU when you uh, applied or tell us there a little was bit a, about that? There
1: was financial assistance available then. I, I didn't okay. know of any grants. I never heard of any grants or any type of, you know, now they'll even pay you, you know, to get right. your doctorate and that wasn't available at all. I um, I, I fortunately graduated from college debt, you know, debt free. I did not have loans or anything like that. Um, for undergraduate, my parents helped me. For my master's degree, my husband helped me with that And then at the time. And then for my doctorate, I, I was had a very good pra- practice going, so I was able to pay for that myself.
0: While you were working on your doctorate, um, did you know what you wanted to do after receiving your EDD, or you had already started doing that, it almost sounds like?
1: Right. Uh, I felt that it would... Um, open more doors. And it certainly did. Uh, when I was working on my doctorate degree, I had to come up with, you know, what are you going to do for your dissertation? And so when I met with my committee, I I told them about how my uh, career had branched into addictions. <clears throat> and they said, well, is there anything about that that you're concerned? And I said, I'm very concerned because I've been had a lot of therapy and no one that I've ever been to for the past Fifteen years has really understood anything about addictions and how it, you know, affected me as a child. How how it affected my own children, and um, and just it's just so vast. It's just such a uh, problem, and it's just not talked about. It, it's bizarre. And so they said, "Well, uh, so you see a need for that kind of training?" And I said, "I do. I do see a need for that kind of training." And so. Uh, They said, well, why don't you, um, why don't you, actually I was teaching uh, at the, uh, someone had given my name to the community, um, the community college where I went for my first two years, they had a continuing education program there and I had been teaching there, I was teaching A Course in Miracles, Uh, I've been teaching that for the past 30 something years. And so when I told the director um, that my committee suggested that I develop a chemical dependency training program for the continuing education department, she was ecstatic. And so uh, she said, of course, we would love that. And we will put the program in effect after you do that. So I I did develop it. Uh, That was my dissertation. And then uh, the community education director, her name was Donna DeSessa, and there was a, uh, there was a, at the time, a place here called Comprehensive Alcohol Rehabilitation Program. It was a free treatment program, and the director there, who was the director for over 40 years, um, Bob Zone is his name, he um, supported it also, so the three of us, took the the materials and added some to it. But anyhow, out of that came a, a, a program where any therapist, nurse, or anyone that had these types of licenses, clinical social workers, family therapists, could go and take any one of the courses that were offered and get continuing education credits. Or for someone who wanted to be a certified addiction professional, it met all the educational requirements for that. And there was nothing available at the time. Later, um, Hanley uh, Treatment Center put in a program. It's no longer there. I helped them develop that as well. But so we had this. And now, which I didn't even know this until like a year or two ago, now that continuing education program got moved into the college, which is no longer a community college. Now it's called Palm Beach State College. And it's a four-year degree in addiction. So it, it makes me feel so good to have been able to make that contribution Because I was really frustrated. I had no idea what to do my dissertation on. And they really helped to bring that out of me and to give me the confidence to to do that.
0: That is wonderful. That's a wonderful story as well. And uh, I'll kind of summarize in 1989, as part of your doctoral degree, you developed a chemical dependency training program at the time. It was called Palm Beach Community College, which has now turned into a four-year degree. And I believe you received the Florida Governor's Council Award for doing that and all that work that went into it. It must make me feel good, make you feel good, to actually uh, see that still uh, come up and uh, and and help those who are interested in that field of addiction as well. So,
1: I'm not a big award person, uh, although uh, they help. You know, they give they give uh, it's a stamp of approval, and I was very honored to receive it. I, I truly was. And, and the college also granted an award, which was very nice. And so did CARP. So it was, you know, it, to me, it felt no big deal, but I, I've learned to really accept it in my heart as a gift.
0: At the time when you received those, it's like, oh, thank you. And then later on, you realize that was kind of more of a big deal than I didn't I realize until
1: I was writing my book and right. my editor <laughs> kind of pulled that out. Like, have you ever had any kind of a, you know, Awards or anything, and I'm like, let me think. And then I, she, that's huge. Right. You did what? You've never even mentioned this. You know, she was like all over it. So right. I think that was the first time it really uh, registered that you know, I you know, it was it was a contribution.
0: So, at what point did you decide that you wanted to open your own private practice?
1: Well, I did that uh, right after I finished my master's degrees because okay. I went around in job interviews. And like I said, the pay was less, even with the master's, the pay was less than um, what I could make as a waitress. So I just, you know, I, when I would bring that up, you know, it, it really, I didn't get hired <laughs> 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 so, no matter how how you know dressed I was or anything, I just, I'm like you know you're, you're only paying what? <laughs> like, do you know how hard I worked for this master's degree? And well, this is the entry level and da 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 da. So anyhow, it, it just wasn't meant to be. So I actually ran into a colleague. Uh, I w- I was teaching at uh, crisis. It was called crisis line at the time, and I was teaching there, uh, teaching uh, uh, crisis intervention, suicide prevention and intervention. And uh, there was a student there who was on a similar trajectory that I'd been on and he was finished and he was uh, ready to to do something also. So we said, well, let's just start, you know, let's, th- let's find an office somewhere. We rented a group room from a local um, psychologist. We started there doing groups. And then once people started wanting to see us individually, I kind of looked around for an office. I found a nice little office that we could share And then before you know it, within a year, we each had our own offices with a nice big waiting room, and and we were very busy. We started getting referrals from a lot of different sources.
0: Congratulations. It's always fun talking about the history and especially the journey associated with getting started with your own private practice and your business. And that kind of leads me to my next question. It is a business. And so, you know, what about accounting and billing, insurance?
1: Marketing?
0: Did you uh, eventually have to do that yourself, or did you eventually hire out to uh, get some help in those areas? Tell us a little bit more about that. I've
1: always, I've always done the billing myself. It's not hard at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've always um, done my own accounting. I mean, have an accountant for my taxes, but for the business aspects, I've always done myself.
0: And then marketing, it sounds like it was more word of mouth and references than anything. Oh,
1: I never, no advertising was all word of mouth.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Still is. So here's a question. Also, that I... you
1: know, I, I never, I, I love teaching also. When I was at the, at the community college teaching, i loved that. And then just kind of, just kind of drifted away from it, uh, over time, but, um, you would think you would get patients from that, but I didn't. Um, that was, you know, more of people who were studying to be addictions counselors. Um, they weren't really going into private practitioners like me to to get that. But we would do a lot of therapeutic stuff in the classrooms, group therapy and stuff like that. So
0: well, I did see that in in kind of your history as well and your experience. You served as an adjunct professor and a psychotherapist for a number of years as well. Um Whenever I talk to somebody who is a counselor or or a therapist or a psychologist and they have their own practice, I usually ask them if you were in therapy, Dr. Marks, describe your ideal therapist.
1: Well, uh, I had her. That was my psychoanalyst. She she represented someone, although she didn't understand addictions, unfortunately, (laughs) Uh, but she certainly understood psychoanalysis. And I, I needed that type of to be able to form that type of an attachment. And when I first met her, I knew she was very healthy. She was, she could, I could tell she took care of herself and she was extremely knowledgeable. Uh, she, she was known um, all over. Uh, she was Argentinian. Her mother was a famous analyst in Argentina. So she had a lifetime of experiences learning about psychoanalysis. And uh, it, she really changed and opened my mind about all of it. You know, so much now is talking taken from Freud and not given credit. The whole attachment disorder theory and all of that is Freud from years ago, and uh, the transference and the and the different. It's just all he said. It all there's nothing new in my opinion. He said it all. It's just that people haven't read it, and I could never read it all. There's just volumes and volumes and volumes. He was so erudite, and he won not only awards as a a, a, a psychiatrist, psychology, but as a writer, he won many awards. He was incredibly. He was the Einstein of, of psychology. I had no understanding of that or appreciation of it, and. Through her, I learned so much that I it, cha- it definitely changed me and helped me to have a much better skill set and uh, helped me to be able to feel safe with another human being for the first time in my life and to trust and to manage all my anxieties that were going on under the surface. And I, by the way, did classical analysis, which means you lie down on the couch. You don't even <laughs> get eye contact. So it was very challenging, but I not only did the four years. Like I said, I continued on for 13. It was a very enriching experience for me.
0: Well, it sounds like it helped you personally, as well as in the long run, it helps your clients and your business to run your business practice and your private practice as well. I'm sharing the screen and and I'm bringing up your website right now. And you have a lot of good information on the uh, website. And what I wanted to share was... Of course, we're going to talk about your book in a, in a second here, but you you talk a lot about the different types of therapy, and then you also talk about all these different articles that are available and podcasts and some meditations that are available on your website as well. a little bit of history about you as well. and then some of the uh, more information about the books. And so that's a good transition to talk about uh, the books. And when we go there, you've written multiple books, but there are some more recent ones. And one of them includes Learn, Grow, Forgive, A Path to Spiritual Success back in 2021. And then Exit the Maze, One Addiction, One Cause, One Solution. And recently, that's the uh, expanded, updated edition right here. And that came out fairly recently, December 13th, 2022. Again, that's a second edition, expanded or updated edition on this one. This um is an interesting book. You can actually look at this and look at uh uh where you can order it. Um, and then here's the original, uh, I believe so. This was the original face cover of uh, or book cover and then the newer uh cover. But here are the awards. I believe you've received over 25 different awards for this uh book as well. And uh knowing a little bit about your journey, it kind of naturally led. To your forthcoming book that's going to be coming out as well and we'll talk about that but give us kind of a high level view of this book exit the maze one addiction one cause one cure for us
1: okay so i had written learn grow forgive a path to spiritual success i self-published it and um i enjoyed it and so i decided i wanted to write another book Uh, there was a lot involved in all this i was i was not doing any writing at the time I loved creative writing, uh, one of the, one of the courses I didn't sleep through in high school. And uh, but this was like nonfiction, which is a whole different thing. You can be creative, but it's not creative writing. So um, I knew that by the time I wrote the second book, I needed an editor. Um, Mm -hmm. My husband actually was my first editor and he's excellent, but, you know, I wanted to stay married, so I said, I'm going (laughs) to go hire somebody this time. And uh, because it is a friction thing, you know, it's like someone critiquing your art, you know. So I found it. I had gone to a publicity summit up in New York to promote my first book, and I had met this lovely woman up there. uh, Her name is uh, Robin Colucci, and she uh, agreed to be my editor for my second book. And within three months, we had it written uh, and I started, uh, she, it wasn't her suggestion, but I started submitting it for awards because I knew I needed to get recognition. I, I, I'm i not an Ivy League school person. I don't have any connections. And, uh, you know, we talked about whether or not to try and find an agent. And it's really difficult to find an agent. She might have found me one, but she suggested that I self-publish it and I could probably, it would be more Uh, profitable for me to do that so i did Uh, there's a lot involved in that Uh, i did hire some experts for different you know you have to do the final editing the line editing you have to have a someone to cover the design you have to have someone who knows how to do all the amazon aspects so uh we were finished i i uh presented it uh, at the Publicity Summit. Again, I got a lot of good feedback. Um, The Publicity Summit is where you meet different people in the media, you get invited on podcasts, news shows, and things like that, like we're doing now. Uh, then um, Then I said, I'm going to submit it for some awards because the people that were reading it were giving me great feedback. So I just looked up book awards on the internet and there's all kinds. And I submitted it to about probably 35 uh, different awards and won 27 of those. So that was like, I was over the moon. The first time I got an award, I was like jumping up and down. I just couldn't (laughs) believe it. Um, It was so exciting. And so uh, through another set of serendipitous events, I met someone who um, had asked me about my book and I've told, I, I told her that it had won a lot of awards and she said, you should meet my friend, the book agent. And so, As a result of that, uh, we loved each other. Um, She chose to represent me. And then she immediately found me a publisher. And uh, I'd already written during COVID, I'd written the third book, The Healing Moment. And so we did a proposal and they said they would publish it. Uh, It's called Beyond Words Publishing, and they have an imprint with Simon Schuster, which means that they do all the publications. Simon Schuster distributes the book. So that's a win-win situation. And uh, so while I was talking to them about the healing moment, they said they're very intrigued by this Exit the Maze book, what I consider revising it. And I said, of course. So they published that one, and it did come out last December. And it's doing very well.
0: Good, good. That's good to hear. I actually have on the website here. I'll share it when we go live as well. A little bit more about Simon and Schuster, uh, about the author, and then uh, you you referenced that they uh, were able to uh, get that new updated version, uh, updated and revised version of Exit the Maze out there. Um, I read a little some of the excerpts of of the books, and and one of the things that kind of stood out for me was course, you you love the addiction uh, aspect, uh, and you, you have become an addiction specialist. And so what makes your definition of addiction different from others?
1: Well, I don't know that it's <clears throat> my definition is all that different, you know, continuing to do the same thing, uh, despite mm-hmm. negative consequences. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> right. if you weren't addicted. Uh, and, you know, there's certainly a difference between bad habits like speeding and occasionally you might get a ticket, but the consequences aren't destroying your life in, in most cases. Um, so there's there's just severe consequences either legally uh, to your own self-esteem or your personal relationships, your children, your spouse, your loved ones. Uh, that's just, that, that's my definition. I think it's clearly uh, most of the industry's definition. However, there has been a shift recently in psychology uh, and in treatment to not call it addiction anymore. They're calling it uh, brain disorder, um, substance use disorder, different behavior disorders. And I think that's a travesty because that model says that I'm born this way. And I don't believe that I'm born this way. I don't believe that I'm born with a gene that says I had to smoke that first cigarette and then the subsequent five packs immediately. There's, I don't think there's a gene that said I had to ever pick up my first drink. There's not a gene that said I had to get married so many times and just have, be addicted to love and blah, 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 la. you know, they just, I don't believe that. I think that that was learned behavior. So I believe there's one addiction and I call it that invisible hole, that feeling that something's missing and I'm always searching for that next thing. So I say there's one addiction. It's that place that we're trying to fill up that empty tank with all the wrong things so it's great that that treatment uh, and and 12 steps you know they have the way to stop it that's good that whatever you go to get treated for they teach you how to stop it and they even now deal with the underlying trauma that may you know keep you in a reactive mode which makes you more likely to relapse but what they haven't been doing is teaching people that Addiction is an attachment disorder. It's an attachment to a deadly behavior instead of a loving behavior. So when I'm working with people, I teach them how to replace that feeling that they're getting, that high, which feels like love, but it's not, with actual acts of self-love.
0: Well, that's a good summary, because I had another question here. You, you you, know, I was going to ask, why do you believe that every addiction is a substitute for love? And this leads me to this follow up question is, okay, if we identify it that way, and there are steps out there, I recall reading that you you said, some of the steps aren't really addressing the root cause uh, of this. It's just, it's just, you didn't use these words, but I view it as a bandaid. Sure, I'm going to make feel good, go home, but you're still missing something. And so how do you substitute that addiction with love? You mentioned self love, but how do you teach somebody who doesn't love themselves, how to learn to truly love themselves?
1: Well, I certainly didn't love myself and when it was put in my face that that was my problem by my higher power (laughs) after relapsing after a long time of sobriety uh, I had to really think about that well what in the world does that even mean that I don't love myself Uh, so I kind of took it back I kind of integrated everything I've ever learned about psychology and when a child is nurtured and felt valuable. And there's an absence of abuse. There's an absence of neglect. There's an absence of verbal, physical, sexual abuse. Uh, They they feel so good about themselves. They feel so comforted. They feel so nurtured and so loved and they're told positive things. That child goes out into the world feeling loved. They, They are fed healthy food. They know they have schedules, they rest. They have friends they play with. You know, there's balance. Their parents teach them how to navigate their way through stress, how to navigate their way through life. Uh, A lot of us never got that. So I had to learn how to love myself in those ways, how to be a friend, how to allow people to be friends to me, how to eat healthy, how to sleep, how to have some kind of a schedule uh, that, that worked, how to discipline myself how to refrain from attacking somebody and managing my emotions in a healthy way. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on. Uh, In fact, in the healing moment, we list you know, like 77 ways on my website. I think I have a hundred and something ways to self-love. Love Love is not an experience. It is an action. And once you learn how to love from that place of taking care of yourself in a healthy way and those actions, then that feeling, that self-esteem Fills that empty hole inside, and you feel good about yourself.
0: I'm sharing the screen again while it's uh, loading up here. I remember reading someplace that you were talking about there are three different kinds of love. Is my memory uh, correct there? Uh,
1: well, I recently did a, a show and also a blog about the the meaning, the different meanings of love. Yes, to have okay. appreciation—that's one action. Okay and to keep an open heart. Uh, you know, our closed heart does not let love in. And then the, and then the third thing was to be able to uh, take care of yourself, okay. because you can't love anybody more than you love yourself. And certainly nobody can love you more than you love yourself. So one of the things that I teach people is that, you know, rather than trying to get love, and and that's where it gets misdirected. You know, I can get it from a person. I can get it from alcohol. I can get it from this. I can get it from... No, be the love that you want, and then you will have it.
0: And so since you were talking about there, I, I was uh, uh, looking at your YouTube um, website as well, and your channel, I should say. And, and you have some other podcasts on here as well uh, that talk about uh, Exit the Maze podcast and then some of the uh, other ones. One of the uh, ones that kind of is highlighted here, you are not broken, and that leads a little bit more into uh, uh, self-love. I'm going to go back to this one because this is the Simon & Schuster, The Healing Moment, Seven Paths to Turn Messes into Miracles of Love. Uh, Feel free to go here. It gives you a little bit more about the uh, book and then more books uh, from you as well. You do have a download section here as well that kind of gives you a little bit more about the uh, photo the book cover, and then more about the author on here as well. Um, Anything that you can kind of add to, I, I read kind of summaries of your previous books kind of leading up to this one, as I mentioned earlier, can you speak to when you started thinking I should write another book and focus on this? So tell us about kind of that genesis when you started thinking about I should write another book and why did you write this book?
1: Well, everything changed. <clears throat> and so during COVID, um, people st- actually at the time was uh, had several therapists as patients <laughs> and um, and other people too, but uh, people were counseling uh, left and right. And I said, you know, I'm going to think about this because COVID is not a reason to stop therapy. It's a reason to really get deeper into it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I can't do all the work. And I've been doing this for a long time. I've I've published a couple books now, and uh, I think I'm going to change things. And so I kind of meditated about it, and it came to me to uh, to do two things: one, write another book because you're going to have more free time, and and second, to totally transform my psychotherapy practice from the regular, um, even the psychoanalytic part of it, where someone would come in two or three times a week. Uh, or just you know the regular counseling just once a week. I was going to transform that into a, a uh, concierge practice, mm-hmm. and I did that three years ago. Uh, when someone called, I said, "I'm no longer doing that kind of counseling. I'm just doing concierge therapy." Well, what does that mean? Is it like a concierge doctor? I said, "Well, it's a lot more intense than that. You sign up for one month at a time. You come in for two days of intensive. Uh, then you have an additional uh, two or three sessions a week." for up to a month. You can upgrade to three, six, nine months or a year if you choose to do more. I'm available to you 24 seven and I expect you to exercise that. Well, I thought you weren't supposed to be dependent on therapists. I said, you know, for someone who has had trauma or has not had a good attachment with anybody their entire life, this is a way to learn how to trust and to have an attachment. You know, kids didn't have a mom, let's say, to To respond to them in the middle of the night when they were freaked out, so it it doesn't happen that people call a lot, but they do call, and then when they know that they can call, they have that support, and then through the psychoanalysis, I know how to help them through the blocks and and when they get stuck, if they're willing, and things like that, so they can involve anybody they want. I like to work with the whole system. I've worked with business systems. I've I've worked with um, family systems. I've worked with couples. It doesn't matter. And so all these experiences are coming into this, and I've been doing it for three years. It's done very, very well, and I, I plan on uh, doing my re- the rest of my career strictly concierge. Hopefully, doing a little more teaching, and I'm also I'm now working on my fourth book.
0: Well, I should mention that the healing moment is uh, scheduled to be released in April, uh, April eleventh, twenty twenty three. Uh, I, you already answered the question. I already had it up here on my screen. What is concierge and uh, counseling? And, and you summarized it and it actually makes sense because if somebody is going through those problems, especially addiction, uh, uh, and they need that support right then and there in that moment, oh my gosh, my next uh, um, uh, counseling session with Dr. Marks isn't until next Tuesday. I have to wait, or I have to write something down or log or something. And then go to her and tell her this instead you can call you up right away and get through that moment right away put things into perspective and then those the number of moments like that slowly decrease and then you become more self-sufficient i'm speaking on your behalf but that's what i imagine absolutely absolutely Yeah, so I, I, I can see how that's logical, especially for somebody who needs to uh, build up their self esteem, self trust, self love, and especially going through that addiction. So I applaud you for doing that. And I didn't know that you you made that change on your uh, practice for now three years going to this concierge uh, therapy. I do one thing did cross my mind, I got to be honest, 24/7. Come on. What if you're sleeping? How many times do you get woken up in the middle of the night? I
1: think maybe once or twice the whole okay. time. Okay. Yeah, okay. All very right. rarely. And I'm I'm always so happy that someone has taken that risk and done it.
0: Right. Right. So when you were working on your undergraduate and graduate degrees, did you ever think that you would be where you are now? In other words you're an educator, you're a writer, you're a concierge psychotherapist and addiction counselor in Palm Beach, Florida. Back then, did you even consider, oh my gosh, I'm going to be all of these things in the future, kind of reflect on it, similar to those awards huh. that you received?
1: Oh, never, never, never. That was not on my radar at all. It's just, <laughs> it, it was just things that evolved and that came to me. And and that's what I, you know, I'd like to convey to to your listeners is that, you are choosing this profession for a reason and the number one priority that i would recommend to anybody is there's so many unhealed healers out there and i was one of them heal yourself get get some therapy really get your own house in order uh, as you're as you're studying so that you're ready you know you're really ready to understand that you know you think relationships are tough now do you have 10 or 12 of them going on at once you, know? right, right. Um, you really want to be squared up, you want to be healthy, you want to be like the kind of parent that, you, that, that produces healthy children, you know, so um, it's very similar, it's the same process. And so that would be really important. And then let yourself be creative, let yourself teach, uh, experiment with writing, you can, you know, do blogs, you don't have to write a book, there's so many things, podcasts, there's so many different areas that you can go into.
0: Well, good suggestions. So if I had to ask you a tough question, what do you love most about your job?
1: Uh, the thing that's clear, the, the, the most uh, special part is when I see someone who originally comes in and is very wounded or in a lot of pain, and they know what they want, and then they get there. You know, to see that happen, to see someone who's really separated, or who's really hurting or in a lot of pain, or who has addictions on the other side of that, you know, with a life and happiness and joy and, and fulfillment, it it is the most gratifying thing in the world.
0: That's great. At the end of most of our podcasts, Dr. Marks, we usually ask some fun questions. So I'm going to ask you a few of them. Uh, Number one is tell me something unique about yourself.
1: (laughs) I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> You've already
0: shared some. You've already shared yeah, that. I don't you went know, through yeah, your I don't own. Know
1: what, I don't really know what I could add to that. You know, I, I'm a very independent thinker. Okay. I I really like to take in a lot of information and analyze it and fact check before I make up my mind about something. So I think that's kind of unique uh, nowadays.
0: Okay. You just don't go off the cuff. You'd rather have all that information before you make an educated Uh, response. Especially when
1: it comes to politics and the state of affairs and things like that. Yeah.
0: Definitely, definitely. Uh, What is your favorite term, principle or theory? And why?
1: Well, I I think it would definitely be psychoanalysis. It's just so rich and so um, challenging. And it's something I'll never master. And the same thing with The Course in Miracles. You know, mm. it's a challenging spirituality course. It's psychoanalytic in nature, and I could never master it. It's a process.
0: It is uh, self-development uh, for your whole life is is an entire process as well. Do you have any uh, other advice for those interested in the field of psychology?
1: Follow your dream. If you feel that, don't do it for the money. The money will come if you're supposed to be doing it. If you're not, if you're not supposed to be doing it. Then do something else in psychology uh, instead of therapy. There's you can teach, you know. Like I said, you can write, you can uh, you can work in in clinics. There's there, you can work in addictions. You can specialize in certain areas, but figure it out. But don't just do it for the money because that's not going to be a happy place to be. It you know psychologists are born, they're not made. In my opinion, you know, I think we those of us that have done it our whole lifetime knew when they we landed down here that that's what we were going to be doing, mm-hmm. and all of the experiences, all the pain, all the challenges—it was the training, and that was the real training, not in the classroom but in life. And the mistakes and converting those—that um, that's that's really what it's going to take to to really be fulfilled in the field.
0: If you had the time and money, Donna, if, if you had the time and money to complete one project or go on one trip, what would you do?
1: Well, I don't have any more projects to complete other than to finish my writing. Uh, I Probably the trip would be like a nice long cruise around the world where I could kind of teach some of this on the cruise. Sure. Uh, and it wouldn't necessarily be a commercial cruise. It might be a private cruise with my private patients. Uh-huh. So something like that's on my, on my vision board.
0: That would be fun and interesting at the same time. Yeah. So, hey, Donna, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up or discuss on this podcast?
1: Mm-hmm. No, thank you. I'm very happy to have sh- uh, been on here and shared with you. Thank you.
0: I appreciate you being on the podcast as well, sharing your journey with us. Uh, I will share all of the uh, websites that we discussed and I'll even look up some of those people that you also mentioned during our uh, discussion as well. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: My pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Masters in Psychology podcast. If you want to learn more about our guests or listen to other podcasts, you can visit our website, mastersinpsychology.com, where you can search through all of the schools in the United States that offer advanced degrees in psychology. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, please like, follow, or share.